0: Amazon is just another example of a company that is competing from Silicon Valley for massive DOD contracts. And so he said something to the effect that Reagan, you know, if big tech turns its back on the Department of Defense, you know, the country's in trouble. You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts.
1: Hello, and welcome to War College. I am your host, Matthew Galt. There's a battle raging for the future of the internet. No, it's nothing to do with net neutrality or broadband access. This is about 5G, the shadowy world of global intelligence agencies and a telecom giant with $108 billion in revenue that most Americans haven't heard of. That company is Huawei, a Chinese manufacturer known the world over for its cell phones. It also makes radio arrays and is building 5G infrastructure all across the planet. Recently, the UK announced it would allow Huawei limited access to some British 5G mobile networks. The Trump White House doesn't like that and claimed Huawei's tech is an elaborate Trojan horse for a Chinese spying network. Here to help us understand the world of 5G networks and spies is Amanda Macias. Macias is CNBC's national security reporter. She specializes in the business of war. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Let's get some basic background out of the way. Let's talk about this company and ZTE. Uh, What are they? Uh, What do they do, and why is the U.S. government so afraid of them?
0: Right. So, this saga has been going on for a very long time. Um, um, So, the U.S. has long had concerns about Huawei and ZTE, basically two Chinese uh, tech companies. So, back in 2012, the U.S. government warned about Huawei's equipment and their components, Um, and same thing goes for ZTE, and their main issue with these two companies is that the Chinese use both of these platforms as a way to spy on American citizens as well as U.S. allies. So the government's put together a couple of different reports. There's a big one in 2012 that um, basically interviewed a lot of intelligence committee chiefs, and they put forward all of these risks. All of that was cited throughout the Department of Defense and in a way to sort of mitigate any risk. The DOD, two years ago, ended up putting an effective ban on any of these products, um, citing these security concerns.
1: And another wrinkle I want to add to this, just so we kind of have our definitions up top, is what is Five Eyes?
0: Yeah, so the Five Eyes are considered the highest of intelligence sharing, and the Five Eye partners are Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK, and the United States. And so, these five governments have decided that they will share military intelligence, human intelligence um, at the highest level. So, this is the elite when it comes to um, national security intelligence sharing.
1: Okay. Now, how is this going to? How is this decision going to affect that intelligence sharing? And can you speak? And I'm sorry. And can you talk a little bit about like what the UK did specifically and why?
0: Right, so this is going to be a major wrinkle um, moving forward with the Five Eyes and this level of intelligence sharing that they do, because basically what happened earlier this week is the UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson's government just decided that, um, you know, despite Trump calling Johnson a friend um, and a key a key member, um, Boris Johnson decided that they were going to allow uh, Chinese tech firm Huawei to have somewhat of a footprint within the United Kingdom. So people that I've spoken to at the British Embassy here in Washington have sort of downplayed U.S. concerns that this is now going to jeopardize the Five-Eye Intelligence Sharing Alliance, um, as well as complicate how the U.S. and the U.K. work together in the future.
1: What exactly... Is the concern that the US has, and is there any evidence for it that's been put forward?
0: So I think in your introduction, you put this really clearly in that calling Huawei and ZTE a Trojan horse. Um, so both of these companies are giants when it comes to Chinese telecom. And they just so happen to be the front runners when it comes to 5G. And so the entire world is after a 5G network. Unfortunately, the West can't provide that. So they have to turn to these two Chinese companies to do that. Um, um Everyone from the Director of National Intelligence to the FBI, CIA, NSA, uh, DIA, as well as the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, they, all of these directors have testified before lawmakers, this was back in 2018, about the potential security risk. Now, because they were testifying um, in an open hearing, they weren't able to get into some of the more classified intelligence that they had that linked Huawei and ZTE to malicious activity in terms of spying on Americans or spying on U.S. allies. So the United States hasn't exactly put forward very clearly what intel that they do have, um, but they have stressed their deep concerns for these types of risks. And they believe that both of these companies are beholden to the Chinese and will do whatever they can to promote Chinese intellectual property theft um, in terms of spying, that type of thing. And, you know, all of those issues are key to the U.S.-China trade war um, that the Trump administration is waging right now.
1: But but America's allies don't seem super concerned over this, right? Like even MI5 head Andrew Parker recently said that he doesn't think that this tech is going to interfere with UK's intelligence-sharing relationship with the U.S., Um, is there any, like, basically what we're going on is faith from the American intelligence apparatus, right? We're kind of taking them at their word.
0: Especially when you have, um, you know, Huawei and ZTE CEOs both coming out and saying that um, they don't have any alleged ties to the Beijing government, um, and they strongly deny all of these accusations. So, yeah, I mean, you do have to take America's top intelligence chiefs, you know, at their word when they cite these types of security concerns. And the British diplomats that I spoke to in the wake of all of this um, really sort of downplayed these concerns and said, you know, we've made a decision. Uh, the Chinese are already in our telecom systems anyway, um, and we're going to make sure that when Huawei does have a little bit larger of a footprint within the UK, that it is going to be um, contained and it won't hit the core of their networks, which would have top-secret, classified, intelligence-sharing um, leveled. So the Brits have done their assessment. They've decided that they do want to move forward with Huawei. And I don't know if you recall, but the last Secretary of Defense, the last Defense Minister for the U.K., um, was asked to leave his post by then Theresa May over um, these Huawei concerns. So there was some leaked information about how the U.K. was considering Huawei, um, and the U.K. linked those leaks to then uh, Gavin Williamson. So this has been something that has sort of lumbered over the U.S. and the U.K. for a long time. It's all the ousting of Gavin Williamson, their defense minister. um, And now under Boris Johnson, the U.K. has decided to move forward with Huawei. So this will definitely create a wrinkle. We're still waiting for the U.S.'s response and how the U.S. is going to move forward. Um, but this is something to watch because Germany hasn't actually ruled out not using Huawei. Um, you know, France hasn't ruled it out yet completely. So, you know, you're watching all of these European countries feel the pressure of wanting to have 5G. And yet the West can't support that yet.
1: Right, there's... A- a lot of really fascinating stuff here. I want to dig into a couple different areas of it. First, um, it seems to me just based on the public statements that have been made, that the UK is kind of tacitly acknowledging that there may be a problem here, but they're going to be able to handle it. Uh, right. I think Johnson said that he would, they would be, the UK would be able to prevent, uh, Huawei from accessing quote unquote sensitive functions. Uh, in their right. in uh in their government computers, do we have any sense that that's uh that that's possible?
0: No or even true right um no, you don't I mean this is one of the reasons why the u s was so clear in saying that we're not going to work with Huawei and we're not going to work with c t e um citing all of these potential risks and um you know i mean no you've, this this is just key to the Trump administration with their fight with China and the trade war um so this really does hit at a, a matter that's very important to Washington right now and it is unclear if the UK is going to be able to mitigate um chinese spying um or seeping into other parts of the network the the brits seem to think that um this is you know a double edged sword we need 5g um It's going to cost their economy billions if they have to develop it on their own. They're going to be way behind, and China is just the front runner for this type of technology. Um, So, I mean, it's either you wait this out and you develop on your own and you're way behind and, you know, 6G is the next 5G, um, or you try and take steps in which the British say that they have where you do an assessment, you – find a way to mitigate risk and now they've made their decision. So it doesn't appear to me from the diplomats that I've spoken to that represent the UK that they're going to walk this back in any way.
1: All right, let's, let's back up a little bit. Cause we're talking a lot about 5g and I want to make sure that we all kind of, that the audience understands exactly what that is. Can you give us uh, a primer?
0: I guess the biggest point that I would note about 5g is that it's a type of network that um, enhances the speed in which mobile broadband services operate on. It expands a lot of mobile networks. When you talk about um, self-driving cars, that's going to need 5G. Um, So I think as nations rush to have this available for consumers, the pressure will mount in working with a 5G leader. And right now, that's China.
1: Right. It feels as if 5G has been pitched as the base speed, uh, the base wireless speed that we need to get to the future that we're planning. Right.
0: Right. And, you know, there's talks, you know, so it was 4G and then it was LTE and 5G and, you know, uh, paving the way to 6G. And so I guess the big question that governments have to look at and economies have to look at is, do we want to do this the super, super, super safe way that the U.S. acknowledges, which means cut out China entirely? But how can you cut out a uh, market leader? You know, and that's the pressure that was mounting in the U.K. And obviously, based off of Boris Johnson's decision, the U.K. is going to pivot and actually work with Huawei and their 5G platforms.
1: It, you almost make it sound as if this has more to do with uh, like the trade war between U.S. and China than it does intelligence concerns. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment?
0: So I think what's key to the Trump administration is – and it's been a party line. This has been when he was campaigning and president-elect, but Trump has always cited as China taking an unfair advantage, whether it's business decisions, trade – national security, and he's linked a lot of that to intellectual property theft. And so the bread and butter of the U.S.-China trade war, which is the top two economies of the world hitting each other with tit-for-tat tariffs, the key point, the key takeaway to that is the fact that Trump has used tariffs citing national security concerns, and that has prolonged a lot of this back-and-forth retaliation. So there is no greater example of Chinese intellectual property theft that also has links to national security concerns than Lockheed Martin's F-35. Because China is said to have gone in, been able to look and pull designs uh, than the inception of the F-35 and has made their sort of play off of that. Now, it's. Unclear if China's version, knockoff version of the F-35 is as good as the F-35. Um, but they saved so much money in research and design because they didn't have to go through the trials and tribulations that is America's most expensive weapon system, which is Lockheed Martin's F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. So I think that that, when we talk about Huawei and we talk about 5G and intellectual property theft and the U.S. suffering, jobs and um, the economy taking a blow because of its relationship with China, I mean, that's just a a baseline for the Trump administration. So I do think that all of these issues are aligned. I don't think that the 5G Huawei fight is any different than the trade war fight. Um, And then we see this ripple through, you know, um, diplomacy, the Pentagon's have to have Has to, you know, the trade issue, the market trade issue is not separated from what I've seen happen in the Pentagon.
1: Okay, but Huawei seems pretty unstoppable, right? It's penetrating markets worldwide uh, and people seem to like them. You know, uh, there was a recent Wired article that claimed that 40% of the planet's population are using Huawei products. Is there anything really meaningful that the US can do here in the face of market dominance? or what appears to be market dominance?
0: Right. No, I really don't think that the U.S. has... um, I don't think that there is a way for the United States to stop what China has created um, in Huawei. We're seeing Huawei take up a larger market share. Samsung's still a leader in terms of mobile devices. Huawei takes the number two spot over Apple. Um, And so with the U.K. deciding to use... Huawei equipment within their telecom networks. I mean, that just makes, you know, these are the when we talk about the five eyes, these are the, the top governments that the United States has entrusted with their highest level of intelligence sharing. If you have one of those, take a step back um, and turn to what has become, you know, the epicenter of the Trump administration's fight with China, then no, I, I think that that the UK sent a very, very clear sign that um, again like i mentioned they've they've downplayed their decision but it's going to be an interesting road for the us to navigate in the wake of all of this
1: right because you've got an economic partner that you're also also in competition with but that you're also sh- ostensibly sharing intelligence with right and right. These, all th- all these things all come into conflict with each other
0: Right. And the main um, issue here is that you really just you really don't know. You can't verify um, you when you talk about trying to find to get something transparent out of the Chinese. um you know, who's, to, you know, so when you ask, like, oh, is there really a way in which the Chinese can operate so closely to an intelligence partner without taking advantage of? Um, and we've seen time and time again that that, that especially isn't the case. So this is really uncharted territory that the U.S. and the U.K. are taking this relationship in. Um, and I don't really see a way, you know, aside from we're already in the middle of a trade war with China, you know you could do sanctions or something like that. But I I really just don't see a way for the U S to stop, um, the rest of the world from eyeing something that China has to offer, which is 5g.
1: Except for competing in that market, but you say it's already a little bit too late. Um,
0: I mean, at the end of the day, I always want to count on American innovation. Um, but as it stands right now, China is the leader in this.
1: Okay, Well, that begs the question to me, at least, uh, are we seeing the beginning of the end of global internet? You know, if we begin to fear our global partners, if we don't think we can trust their tech, can we keep connected? You know, China and Russia are both already taking existing steps to limit connection and regulate what was, what goes on on the internet inside their own borders. Um, if they start controlling the pipes, metaphorically speaking, uh, Is it, you know, completely paranoid to think that they will begin to uh, export their idea of what the Internet
0: should look like? That's interesting. Um, I think that also is the reason why the Defense Department is courting a lot of companies out of Silicon Valley. There's a lot of big tech contracts coming out of uh, DoD, including, you know, AWS, for instance, Google has scooped up a, quite a few. Um, so I think as the Pentagon courts, Silicon Valley, and as the Trump administration pushes forward on space, I think that's going to be the way in which the U.S. Um, can mitigate some of these uh, security concerns in terms of Russia and China. So I think that there's just uh, multiple prongs of going after this matter. Um, and like I said, at the end of the day, I do want to believe in american innovation uh you know over over China or russia um but yeah, I think that that, that could be potentially now that we're you know going back and forth on this, I think that that could potentially be a way in which the u s does dampen um you know china's efforts
1: traditionally uh the military has had kind of a hard time courting. Silicon Valley Uh, It's changing. You know, you've got companies, you know, obviously, like you said, Google and there's companies like Palantir and Palmer Luckey's company that are kind of uh, very interested in dealing with uh, the military. Um, The tech company workers are often at odds with this. But do you think it's important? Like there's this. I think how to say this. There's this transmission of culture that would happen between the two. Um and I think, you know, tech company workers at a base level are worried that uh the military culture would kind of infect them and they would be working on projects that they may feel are unethical. But isn't there also isn't it also possible that there would be a transmission the other way and that tech company values and American values can help bolster the American military and the Pentagon and uh
0: No, no, no. I get what you're saying. Um, Because I will say that when I was at the Reagan National Defense Forum um, in Simi Valley last month, um, what you're getting at is is exactly what Amazon CEO and founder Jeff Bezos got at, is that if the U.S. tech companies decide that they're not going to support the Pentagon's war business, then that for the United States um, and for the globe is um, a very – he had a very dismal outlook on that. And – basically what he, he he very loosely referenced in his comments that um, and what happened with Google and project maven so very controversial contract it was dubbed project maven uh, project maven I'm um, sorry uh, very controversial contract dubbed project maven uh caused thousands of employees to protest the initiative. Um, but basically, what Google was doing with the United States military was analyzing drone videos by using artificial intelligence. And so that culture that you're getting at where there's people in Silicon Valley and in tech industries that don't want to use tech for war. Um, so in the wake of all of that, Google decided to not renew the contract and expired March 2019. And so Bezos loosely referenced those, um, you know, those steps when he was speaking at the Reagan National Defense Forum. And, you know, he's in the he is in the middle of a lawsuit, uh, you know, with the Pentagon over the cloud computing contract that was awarded in October to Microsoft over Amazon. Um, So, you know, Amazon is just another example of a company that is competing from Silicon Valley for massive DOD contracts. And so he said something to the effect that Reagan, you know, if big tech turns its back on the Department of Defense, you know, the country's in trouble. And he took it on more as like a patriotic duty that we need to do everything that we can um, in order to support the Department of Defense. So that's one example of someone who uh, shares that same outlook that you were mentioning. But, I mean, Google – Project Maven is is the opposite of that, of a company that decided, look, we don't want to do this anymore, um, and and we don't want our AI to be used for war, essentially. So you get both sides uh, of the spectrum with Silicon Valley. I mean, it's when you think about guys in hoodies and tech um, with the hierarchy and the bureaucracy that is the Department of Defense, I think there's naturally going to be a culture clash, However, I will say that in the Pentagon, we're seeing, um, you know, for instance, Dr. Roper, who is acquisitions chief for Air Force, um, and he's really interested in tech, and he wants to leverage Silicon Valley. And he's spending a lot of time with tech companies trying to figure out how do you guys get an initiative and move it so quickly through your company, whereas the Department of Defense has all these, you know, boards and revisions uh, that it has to go through. So, you are seeing a little bit of, of, a, of a vibe within the Pentagon, believe it or not, of people who do want to leverage what the private sector is doing. And I think in order to survive, in order to compete with China, for instance, you have to do that. You have to figure out a way to adjust um, you know, your normal acquisition process.
1: All right. I think that's a wonderful spot to end on. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much for coming onto the show and walking us through this complicated topic.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: That's it for this week, War College listeners. War College is me, Matthew Galt, and Kevin Nodell. You can follow me on Twitter at MJ Galt and Kevin at KJK Nodell. It was created by myself and Jason Fields. We will be back next week with more stories from behind the front lines. Stay safe until then.